Um, it's great to be at Faith. How are you guys? Come on, we had an amazing camp. We had an extraordinary time with Jesus, and I'm excited about what God is going to do in our hearts and in our lives this morning. Um, I also want to thank you, Faith, for your faithful support of my family over the last year to a year and a half. We are missionaries to the continent of Africa, and in a unique role, my wife and I oversee Africa Call. It is the missions mobilization and advocacy arm of the Africa region at Assemblies of God World Missions. In other words, we believe that God has given us a burden to see 400 new missionaries go to Africa over the next five years. We're believing that God is going to send church planters, that God is going to send children's workers, that God is going to send youth pastors, that God's going to send pioneers to the places in Africa that today do not have a worker. Last night, a young lady came to me who's sitting here with us. She, she came to me and she said, the Lord has been speaking to me about Somalia, that God could use me in Somalia. And here's what's amazing about that. There are no Assemblies of God missionaries in Somalia. Do you know why that's amazing? It's because God does still call pioneer people to do pioneer things in pioneer places. God still calls people to do extraordinary things. And I just want to thank you for the the support that you've seen because what God has done over the last year is send 15 missionaries to the continent of Africa through your partnership. It's through your partnership that God has been doing amazing things, so thank you for that. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 37, verse number 1, the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 37, verse number 1. It should be on the screen, although I did give it last minute, but they're last minute people. Look at that. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I call this message because I said so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity here in camp service number five. I, I pray as you take this message and you take this word to speak to faith, I pray that you continue to grow and strengthen what you're doing. And I pray that we would understand this great thing that you're getting ready to do through us and in us. I pray that before we leave this room, we will know that we've been in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In your name we pray. And everyone said with me, Amen. I have to be honest with you, I've told a couple of these stories to the students already, so they're not going to give any of it away, okay? Okay. Sometimes when you tell teenagers to nod their heads, or you expect them to nod their heads, they don't do it, and it's frustrating. Okay? Okay. When I was, when I was two years old, my dad had a dream. And in his dream, my dad landed in an airplane on a strip of land and on this strip of land there was a, a tarmac there was an asphalt strip that my dad landed on in his dream and, and in his dream he got out of the plane he walked down to the bottom of the steps and when he walked down to the bottom of the steps he, he looked and he saw that he was surrounded on three sides by water that water on three sides he was surrounded by and 
In his dream, he looked out across the bay of water on the other side, knowing that he was on a peninsula. He tried to get his bearings and figure out where he was, and he looked out, and he saw that on the other side of the bay of water was a city. And that city was positioned in a very unique place because that city was positioned on the side of a mountain, on the side of a mountain that rose from the mountains, from the, where the mountains met the beach. And in his dream, my dad looked and he, he tried to see in the distance what he was looking at and he could see the twinkling of lights, a few lights on the side of this mountain, knowing that this was a city, but also at the same time knowing that this city was in a foreign land, that he had never laid eyes on this city before. And so the very next morning, my dad awoke from his dream. He ran to find my mom, and, and in this excited moment, he ran to find my mother, and he said, I, I believe that the Lord has called us into missions, and I think that God has shown me where we're going to go. Now, my mom laughed out loud in that moment. She said, okay, you can go. I'll stay. And so for the next seven years, my mom and my dad tried to pray against each other. Their prayers were being used by God in very interesting moments. My dad would get up every morning and he would pray and he would say, Jesus, I just pray that you would speak to Karen. God, I pray that she would hear your word and she would realize that we're called into missions and you would give her the same dream and the same determination and the same destiny that you're giving me. God, speak to my wife. And every single morning, my mom would wake up and she would say, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would cause these crazy dreams to stop happening to Steve. He's lost his mind. And I pray that in these moments when he's lost his mind, God, that you would take away all these nutty dreams of missions in Jesus' name now. Somewhere along the way, they canceled themselves out. Their own prayers backfired on each other. In fact, the Lord continued to speak to my mother and my father. The Lord continued to speak to my dad. And God began to speak to my mom in a way that she finally began to hear from the Lord and step into something that she never expected that she would step into as long as she lived. See, my mom and my dad grew up in southern Arkansas in a very small community called Hatfield. 412 people. We've lost people over the years. And now there's only 402 people in Hatfield, Arkansas. They've had to change the sign at least three times at my remembrance. My mom and my dad heard the call of God and they had to decide what the Lord was getting ready to do, but that's a story to be completed in a little while. I'm the father of three amazing children. I need you to understand. My son Jude is 14 years old. He believes that he's the greatest athlete that our family's ever seen, and maybe he's right. He was born with a big head. I've got a son named Cruz who's almost 12 years old, and I asked him yesterday, because he's with my mom and dad right now, to send me pictures of the, the vacation spot that they're at with all the cousins, and so he sent me pictures of his eyes, and he sent me pictures of the road, and he went out to a tree, and three inches from a tree, he took a picture, and he sent it to me. I said, that's a little jerk I got on my hands. I love my big-headed boy. Cruz was also born with a big head. I've got a little girl named Indy. She is six years old, and when she was born, she was born with a perfectly sized head. And we were super blessed by that because we have big-headed problems in our family. My mom says that my head is the same size today as it was the day that I was born. So we've learned to deal with big-headed issues in our family. And I can tell you that from a parent's perspective, we don't always know how to answer our kids' questions, do we? Sometimes they ask us really amazing questions. And, and even though we say there are no dumb questions, sometimes they ask us dumb questions. And we got to navigate the moments of dumb questions. Come on, let's be real this morning. I don't always know how to answer my kids' questions, especially when my kids ask me questions that defy what I feel like is my God-given right as a dad. To tell them to make your bed. I say, make your bed, boy. They say, 
well, why? <laughs> and I say to my other son, I say, I say, Cruz, I want you to go down and I want you to clean your room. And he says, why? Whenever I want to feel sad, I go down to Cruz's room in the basement. Whenever I want to feel sad, I just go down into the basement, I walk in Cruz's room, and I find that there's ramen that's gone back to its original state. I think it's honestly kind of weird that ramen goes from being crusty to being soft, and then in its original state, it goes back to being crusty again. It makes you wonder what we're putting in our bodies. I find an empanada behind a chair in his room that I bought three weeks earlier. Chicken bones. I don't know where chicken bones came from. I find chicken bones in my son Cruz's room. They're half eaten. He loves wings. He must have found them some way, but there is a sadness that comes over me whenever I go down into Cruz's room, and I walk down in there, and I begin to pray. I say, Jesus, be with Cruz, because he needs need you father this room needs you can't be mary poppins gotta be somebody trying to clean his room and it doesn't happen unless i tell them to do these things but i've noticed that over the last couple of years the only answer that i have to my kids in moments like this because i don't always have the best answer i look at them and, and i say to them when they ask me why because i said so that's all I got for you right now. I know you want something better, but that's all I got. I don't have a well-articulated response to your question. All I have for you right now is because I said so. Now, y'all know with me that it frustrated you when you were kids when your mom and dad said the same thing to you. Because I said so. And now here we are, grown people with children saying to our sons and our daughters the very same thing that frustrated us when we were growing up because I said so. This is what I love about because I said so, but this is also what frustrates us about because I said so. See, when we say because I said so, there is no explanation. When we say because I said so, it's filled with ambiguity. And when we say because I said so, it has to rely on trust and belief. In other words, moms and dads hope that when we say because I said so, in spite of the ambiguity and the lack of clarity, there will be understanding between moms and daughters and sons and fathers to make the best decision for their children. When we say because I said so, we hope that our sons and our daughters believe that it's from a place of trust. Now let's go back to our scripture. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. What you and I are seeing in this moment is a very dark and a powerful moment. The prophet Ezekiel is taken to a place that he's never been to before, and he would probably never see again except for this moment. And because I like to use my imagination when I read the scripture, I picture these mountains covered with loose rock standing like piers around the valley. Probably no more than two entrances into the valley. And these two armies have somehow met in the middle. They've become long dead, long dried out. And here these two once great armies are lying dead, dormant at the bottom of a valley. And God brings a man, a prophet by the name of Ezekiel, sits him in the middle of a valley of dry bones and begins to process this moment with him. See, I've had this verse on my heart for some time. And what I want to do is I want to peel back some missional layers in the context of the scripture so that we can begin to see the truths that are buried within it and the first one is this and the first one is simple every purpose has power but only if put into practice every purpose has power but only if put into practice what do you mean by that Jacob it means that you and I were made on purpose and for a purpose there was no randomness to our lives. You may be random people doing random things like getting bit by a snake at camp. I don't know if y'all are supposed to know that. But still, 
They may be random things that we do from time to time, but there is something about the word order that implies that you and I have a place. A place where we do what God has called us to, a place where we live the way that God has shown us, and a way that we live that purpose out in our lives. Here's the catch. My order and your order in life may not always line up, but here's what God is calling you to. God is calling you and I to figure out where we fit in the order of life and then become determined to live out our purpose on purpose in the middle of our purpose. In other words, what God has called you and I to do, we should begin to do it to the very best of our ability, knowing that because God has called us to something, there is significance attached to it. There's anointing attached to our purpose. There's blessing attached to our purpose. And for some of us in the room, there is grace attached to our purpose. See, I love my kids, but... I told the students the other night, my, my children have a way of critiquing me. You ever been critiqued by a 10-year-old? You ever had a 10-year-old look you in the eye and say, here's your problem? It's, it's not the greatest thing in the world, I promise you. When your 10-year-old children looks at you and says, Dad, this is the problem, you're weird. I say, what's that mean to you? My, my sons, a couple of years ago, they, they said, Dad, my son Cruz is a unique boy. Y'all need to understand, I love my children. I have unique kids. I don't know about you, but I have unique kids, and I love the uniqueness of my children. But my son Cruz looked at me one day. He said, Dad, you're eccentric. I said, what does that mean to you? I, I know what it means to me, but I don't know what it means to a 10-year-old boy. So explain it to me. And they couldn't explain it to me. And I was frustrated about this. I was frustrated, and so I began to look in my mind and think to myself, what does it mean? Maybe here's the things that make me frustrating, that make me eccentric. Maybe it's because I like to go pick up my children from the school line and roll down the windows and listen to 80s music at the top. Sing along with it as well. Nothing better than singing, it's my life. And kids begin to think, oh, that's eccentric. I wondered if it's because I like to sing every single song in an operatic voice, and I find that entertaining. It might not be entertaining to you, but it's entertaining to me, and that's all that matters. And then, and then my wife and I, we were at Sam's Club not that long ago, and we were walking up and down the aisle, and we noticed that there was a man pushing a shopping cart. And he was pushing the shopping cart like this. taking his sweet time, walking down the aisle, pushing a shopping cart. And my wife said, hey, you see that guy? I said, yes, I do. She said, that's eccentric. She said, that's you. <laughs> that's something you would do. And at first I was offended. I was like, you can't. Yes, I would. I would totally do that. <laughs> now it all makes sense. I've learned that my order in life is to be the eccentric dad who does all the things that embarrass their kids. And I've told my kids, I've said to my children, and y'all need to get this, teenagers, if your mom and your dad are just living their best life, let them live their best life doing the crazy things that make them moms and dads because y'all will do the exact same thing one day. Learn to get into that life and learn to be those type of people. So here's the good news. Your order is found in your orders. Where you fit is found in what frustrates you. In other words, you 
belong by doing what God has designated you to do. Put simply, your job is to do the job that God has put in front of you right now. What job you've been given may be a job that frustrates you, but the scripture says, do everything to the glory of God. Do everything that you have with a purpose, on purpose, to the glory of God. And if you'll do everything that you have on purpose, for a purpose, and to the glory of God, you will find that you will succeed even when what's in front of you frustrates you. There you will find a portion of your calling by doing what you've been designated to do. So what is that? If it's to preach, then preach it, preacher. If it's to teach, then teach it. Teacher, I had to make it fit. If it's business, then you give everything you have to the business that God has put in front of you. And when you do, there will be a measure of success that maybe people can't identify, but you and God can identify together because you're doing your best to him. See, we had pastored a church. For 12 years, we were evangelists and and then in 2013, the Lord called my family to leave all of that and go to Arizona to plant a church. So we left everything and we went to Arizona to plant a church. Then in the fall of 2018, I could start to feel that God was speaking to me about my life, about the calling that he put on me. And I'll be honest with you, I, I was tired of being uncomfortable at this season. I didn't want to hear God say to me, go. And so I pretended that I didn't hear him. I told the students last night that I loved living in the deserts of Arizona. I loved the church that we had planted. I loved the community that had been formed up in our family and around our city. I loved living in Arizona because for eight years I didn't own a lawnmower. <laughs> I would go out and I would rake my rocks. Because I'm a little bit OCD, I would go check my lines. Oh, that's pretty. It's a pretty line in the middle of the gravel. I love the fact that God had called us. I would, I would go out and I would pick lemons off of my tree and I would make lemonade on a very, very good day. And then the Lord began to speak to us about stepping into seasons of the unknown and seasons that don't make sense. And sometimes seasons of unknown as seasons of don't make sense cause fear and frustration to happen in us. And here's what we tend to do. When we hear God saying to us, go, and the answer that we want to give to God, no, it becomes more about my pride than it is truly about my preference. Because in our preference, we would say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go in that direction. But it's not about your preference anymore when you tell God no. It's all about your pride. It's about our belief as human beings that somehow we understand our destiny and our calling better than God does. That somehow we understand what God wants to do in us better than God understands it. So it's in our pride that we tell God no. But after a couple of months of fighting with God, the Lord began to speak to my family about letting go of the church that we'd planted to serve Jesus on the continent of Africa in missions. To believe that God can send missionaries to 21 countries on the continent of Africa that have no Assemblies of God missionary today. To reach 250 million people that have never heard the name Jesus before. 867 unreached people groups to plant a healthy church within walking distance of every African. That is what we believe God has called us to and how your partnership makes a difference. But here's the struggle that we face. Some of you in the room have spent the last few weeks, months, and years hearing God say one thing and you've been doing the opposite. He's told you to go right and you've gone left. He's asked for all and you've settled for some. He said more and you've said, no, that's enough. But here's where we're going this morning. We've all been set on mission. 
But we'll never fully understand the mission that God has called us to without being settled in our purpose and settled in who we are. Mission and placement are tied to vision and value. Do you know what the vision of God is for your life? Do you know what the vision of God is for your family? Do you know what the vision of God is for you, mom and dad? Do you know where God is taking your family? Because if you do not know that yet, then you'll never fully understand the purpose that you have in the position God has placed you. So you were made to be filled with his presence. You were made to be complete in Jesus. You were made to be strong in him. For some of you, the emptiness that you feel and the loneliness, the feelings of wondering, it's come back down to this. You've not obeyed your marching orders. See, marching orders are meant to be a better future. To find out who you really are. Marching orders are meant for life. They're not meant for death. They're meant for us to hear the voice of God and then to go to that place. So let's go back to our verse for just a moment as my friend Brian comes. In Ezekiel chapter 37, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Quickly, I want you to take note of two things. The first thing it says, he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. We have to understand this because it's crucial and here's why. The reference to the spirit of the Lord is the marker of the spiritual nature of the moment. God took him to a place. God brought him out. God's power sent him. In other words, the prophet was taken to a valley through God's anointing, not through his own ability. See, we read the scripture and we see the vision that God is exposing Ezekiel to. And here's where I want to take you for just a moment. When my purpose is his, he will take me to places I could never go on my own. He'll show me things I couldn't see with my own eyes. He will put me in situations that I could not have created in my own strength. This is why the best place for you to be is in the palm of his hand. Your home has to be found in his hand. Your peace will come when you find out where he's positioned you. And your grace will be in the goodness of God. Your grace will always be found in the goodness of God. It says, says he sent me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. This is the moment. This is the moment that you are made. You're made in valleys. See, we want to constantly experience mountaintop situations. We, we long for that as believers to live from glory to glory, from grace to grace, from goodness to goodness. But that's not your calling. You're calling us to follow him, even though that might take you through the valley of the shadow of death. But here's why that's powerful, because when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, you do not fear evil because he is with you. Notice, I believe that you will find victory in the valley of dry bones. God was showing Ezekiel a scenario that shouldn't exist. The valley of dry bones, it shouldn't exist. It wasn't meant to be other than God allowed it. And yet at the same time, death shouldn't exist. Pain should not exist. Hate shouldn't exist. Racism shouldn't exist. Brokenness shouldn't exist. The brokenness that you felt as a human being that you've been through, divorce that you've been through, lost sons and daughters, those moments, we look at those scenarios and say, God, why? Why have you allowed this to be? And when you go through moments like this, when you felt pain and felt brokenness and seen the struggle of culture, when you find yourself standing in a valley of dry bones, I want you to say something bold with me in that moment. This should not exist. 
The valley of dry bones should not exist. So let me take you a step further because here's what's going to happen when you find yourself standing in a valley of dry bones. The first thing that you'll do is you'll immediately deny it. You'll say, this can't be. This can't be what I'm standing in. This can't be what I see. And when we deny our own sin, we ignore it. And when we deny sin, we inadvertently perpetuate it. It's our denial of sin that allows it to deny, define us. We do more. We deny ourselves in this moment. We deny the plan of God. We deny the mission and the purpose that God has placed on our lives. The second thing we do is we deflect. The definition for the word deflect is to turn aside. In our denial, we pretend that the valley of dry bones doesn't exist, but when we deflect, we ignore the ramifications of the valley itself. See, deflection is the denial of my own personal responsibility to a broken world. Deflection is when we turn our ear to weeping. Deflection is when God says to go, and our response to Him in the moment is no. I told you about my son Jude the greatest athlete that our family's ever seen. And Jude, Jude played eighth grade football this last year and he broke the tackle records as a middle linebacker. He broke the tackle records in the eighth grade in, in our city and he was overwhelmed by that and it just confirmed his beliefs about himself already. I have a gifting for this. I have a gifting for football. But the only thing he really wanted to do is he simply wanted to play offense one time. So all season long, he would come to me and say, Dad, I would just love just one game just to play offense. The last game of the season, their team down. 20 seconds left in the game. The coach put him in on offense. It just so happened that in that 20 seconds, Jude had positioned himself to be standing two feet from the end zone to cross over that line. And the quarterback saw Jude standing there, tossed the ball to him. I remember watching the ball float through the air. It was slow motion. It was like a movie. I'm telling you, music began to play behind him just like it was playing behind me right now. And everybody in the crowd began to watch. I saw mouths drop slowly, popcorn. Right at the moment when Jude should have caught the ball, he reached up midair and he went boop. He said, not my job, not my responsibility. I have a different role and I will not play this one. In fact, the popcorn was going up. Oh! Sodas were being spilt on the ground. The ball was flying through the air. And Jude caught that ball, took one step, crossed over the end zone, scored the game-winning touchdown, and in his prideful, youthful arrogance, he punted the ball, threw it on the ground, and then stood there. because my son understood that in that moment, his role was to do the job that had been given to him. His role was to do the job that had been given to him. You and I need to understand something about walking with Jesus. 
your responsibility becomes what God gives to you in the moment. And there will be no greater freedom and no greater joy that you have in walking with Jesus, teenagers, than when you do the thing that God has put in front of you right now. For some of you, you've been waiting for the right thing at the right moment. And so when opportunities have been passed to you, when jobs have been given to you, in the middle of the air, you've put the ball straight to the ground and said, not my job, not my responsibility. God cannot anoint people who do not take seriously what's been put in front of them, even as menial of a task as we feel like it might be. God blesses the diligent hearts of people who do their best for the glory of God, even though we feel like it might not fulfill my purpose now, it fulfills God's purpose in eternity. There's something special about doing the job that God has put in front of us. See, there's always potential. The third thing that you'll do standing in the valley of dry bones is you'll have to decide, can these bones live? A couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, a member of our team went to northern Ghana to dig a water well. Went to northern Ghana to dig this water well and Africa is the most water-scarce continent on the planet. And they were there to dig this water well in northern Ghana, in the red dirt of northern Ghana. And as they were preparing to do this, what we always say is we say local lasts longer. And because local lasts longer, we will never go dig a water well where we will also not plant a church at the same time. We don't want to dig a well and give people physical water and then leave out the spiritual living water to those people. So a church was planted. A well was dug and a church was planted. See, we say in missions and in these assemblies of God, we say that water is life, but water is also death. See, water is life. 70% of our body is water, but water is also death if you go to the wrong stream. We've seen young ladies who've lost arms and legs and, and even lives as they went down to the water and there was a crocodile waiting for them at the water's edge. We've, we've heard stories and we've seen villages where men and women have gone down to the water to draw from and it's been trampled overnight by herds of buffalo and wildebeest, but it's the only water source that they have. And so they draw this filthy bacteria-infested water to take back to their homes. So water is life, but water is death. And when the well was dug, a revival broke out in the community because Pastor Timothy, a local Ghanaian, became the pastor of the church. And a move of God began to take place. Lives were touched. There was an incredible opportunity that began to be birthed as entire Muslim families converted from Muslim to Christianity and revivals were breaking out in this community. And one day, Pastor Timothy got a knock at his door and there standing in the doorway was a recent convert from Islam. He was waiting for Pastor Timothy and he... He said, I would like to be baptized. And Pastor Timothy said, well, that's amazing. I'm so excited that you want to be baptized. We have a baptism service in two weeks. So come back then, started to close the door, and the man reached out, put his hand in the door, and said, no, no, I would like to be baptized today. And so Pastor Timothy looked around, and he saw that there was no baptismal tank or a body of water, but what they had was a water well. So Pastor Timothy went over to the well and began to pump the water onto the ground. 
and the water spilled down onto the dirt. And in the mud, Pastor Timothy looked at that man and said, lay down. So the man laid on the ground. And Pastor Timothy said, turn around. The man rolled over in the mud. And Pastor Timothy said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That man's family began to know Jesus as the, as the patriarch of the family. His whole family began to experience Jesus. Two weeks later, there was another knock at Pastor Timothy's door. And there was this man standing there in the doorway with his wife. And she said, I would like to be baptized. Now, so Pastor Timothy walked over to the well of water and he began to pump the water onto the ground and it began to make mud and he said to her, lie down. She lied down. He said, roll over. She rolled over and he said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and just like God had already done, a move of God was erupting in that community through this patriarch and his whole family began to experience Jesus. It wasn't more than a few days later when the third knock came to Pastor Timothy's door and Pastor Pastor Timothy stood there looking at this man who had come to him twice before and there he was standing in the doorway with his wife and on the other side his other wife and she said I'd like to be baptized see sometimes when we see a problem God sees potential Sometimes when we see brokenness, we know that God is our healer. Because behind our sin, there is always a Savior. Notice what the prophet heard God say. He said, Son of man, can these bones live? And the prophet said, Only you know, Jesus. Only you know if these bones can live. But notice what God said to Ezekiel. God said to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones. Say to these bones, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Your responsibility is to say, God, I will say to these bones, I will say to my family, I will say to my community, I will say to my city, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. But notice that God said to Ezekiel, can these bones live? In your faith, you must be willing to say to God, I only will say what you want me to say. I will preach what you want me to preach. I will declare what you've told me to declare. Can these bones live? And when God says, speak, you say dry bones hear the word of the Lord notice what the Bible says when Ezekiel prophesied to the bones bones came together a rattling sound from the four winds an army that had once been dead rose to life as a rattling sound came why? because he believed and he declared the word of the Lord my job is not to know what to say always, but to say what God tells me to say. Here's where we're going, faith. We're going to a place. We're going to a place as a church where we will stand for the next few weeks, months, and years in valleys of dry bones. We will look around at everything that we say to ourselves can't possibly exist, and God will say to us, do you think these bones can live? Do you think that your family can experience Jesus? Do you think that your neighbor can know the Lord? Do you think that America can come to a place of revival? Do you think that Africa can experience a touch of God? Can these bones live? 
and we'll say, only you know. Only you know. And then God will say, then speak to these bones. Prophesy to these bones. Dry bones hear the word of the Lord. This is what God says to these bones. Live. Be healed. Be restored. Be set free. He'll say to your son, come home. He'll say to your daughter, you have a place. He'll say to Harrison, Arkansas, experience me, know me, because faith, assembly of God, says to the valley of dry bones, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Breathe on these bones, Jesus. And when he does, an army rises from the ashes. There's always been an army waiting for somebody to speak to these dry bones. Dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me all over the room? Father, we praise you in this moment right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we bless the name of the Lord. We praise the name of the Lord. Some of you are standing in valleys of dry bones. You are standing there right now, and you're confused, confounded, frustrated, and afraid. Some of you look around at your families, and you say, this is just a valley. This family's drying up. This business, it's drying up. My future's drying up. My hope is drying up. My city's drying up. Some of you are standing in a valley of dry bones right now, and I believe that God wants to empower you to be able to say to the valley of dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord for you is faith. The word of the Lord for you is healing. The word of the Lord for you is joy. The word of the Lord for you is peace. The word of the Lord for you is goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord. The word of the Lord for the valley of dry bones is to live again. The enemy meant it for death, but God will raise it back to life. But it takes you and I saying together, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord live. I want you to stand to your feet with me all over the building. All over the building. And I'm going to ask you two questions and I'm going to make it very simple. The first question is this. If you are sitting here in church this morning and when you look around you in your life, it seems like you're standing in the valley of dry bones. You feel like you're standing in a valley of brokenness and hurt and you need God to speak through you to the places that you are to bring life again because that is your purpose. God brought you to a place you never could have come to on your own and he gave you an opportunity to speak to a valley of dry bones just a moment, I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and find a place at this altar where you can say to the Lord, I'm, I'm here for you, God, and I need to know what my place is. I need to know what my purpose is. How can you use me, God? What can I say to this valley? What can I say to these bones? Second question. You're in the room and you say, Jacob, I want 
to be anointed and empowered for the moments of my life when God calls me to stand in my purpose. See, for, the, for Ezekiel, he was a prophet. But all of a sudden, he stood in his purpose, standing in the valley where God told him exactly how he needed to speak. For those of us in the room that are waiting for the moment, waiting for the time, waiting for the place, this has been a theme of mine recently. I believe that God wants to anoint you and empower you for what's getting ready to come. So I'm going to be bold. I'm going to count to the number three. And if you will get out of your seat, as many that would, find a place at this altar for the next few moments. We're going to believe that out of valleys of dry bones, God is going to raise up armies. That God is going to raise up armies that will march and move through our families, through our cities, through our school, through our community, through our culture, through the world, as the people of Jesus say to the dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Dry bones, live. On the count of three, I want you to get out of your seat, find a place at this altar, and let's begin to believe that God is going to anoint and empower us together today in this moment. One, two, three. Come on, would you slip out of your seat? Would you slip out of your seat and find a place at this altar and let's begin to seek the face of Jesus together?